Tell me, O muse, of the man of many devices, who was driven to wander far and wide after he had left the sacred citadel of Dublin, of those who sought to net his wings and of the love that was to bear his children, of his many loans and shattering rejections, of his ecstatic highs and turbulent lows, of his faith and perseverance in the angry face of constant debt collectors, how his brother, steadfast Stanislaus, loyally burdened the price of his genius, of the long despairing struggle and of the eventual arrival of his triumph, of the gifts he bestowed upon the world and of his many friends, patrons and love of family, of his riotous celebrations and of his painfully deteriorating eyes. Sing, O muse, of the peregrinating European bard and his pen and of the vast riches that are found therein. Frugally lean, Stephen Daedalus gloomily ascended to the Martello tower top, where the equine face and light untonsored hair of gaily sneering Buck Mulligan lay in wait. Kinch ahoy, you frightful Jesuit! Stately Chrysostomus calls me Kinch. I cried to my daddy on the telephone, how long now? Until the clouds unroll and you come home, the line went. What have you got up your snot-green nose about me now? Was it Haynes raving, raving again in his sleep and with his gun about? Mulligan inquired. The child of morning, rosy-fingered dawn, shone upon the bay beyond the parapet, which cupped the snot-green sea as a bull had caught the snot-green bile that his dying mother had been coughing up. Oh, it's only Daedalus, whose mother is beastly dead, Stephen exclaimed. Oh, did I say that? And what of it, death? It's a beastly thing and nothing more. I didn't mean to offend your mother. Buck Mulligan responded. Stephen, coldly and with growing anger, replied, I was thinking of the offence to me. Oh, an impossible person. Buck Mulligan spun around and poised like a cannon over the parapet. Brute. His head turned to look back over his shoulder, eyeing Stephen, as a rosy-fingered breeze tussled his fair locks and rustled his ungirdled dressing gown. You wouldn't kneel down and act a prayer for her until it was over, like she desperately wanted you to, and now you moan to me. We'll never Hellenize Aaron like this, my lovely kinch. He sprang around and made for the stairwell, parried once more. He'll finish writing something in ten years. Come down and quit your moping, Daedalus. Look out at the snot-green bile. What does it care for consequences? Mulligan descended the s stairway, singing R.E.M.'s Everybody Hurts. He forgot his mirror and shaving bowl, forgotten friendship, his arm, Cranley's arm, from Portrait, my first novel, silently disentangled, a servant serving Chrysostomus, a cracked spiegel, a symbol of Irish heart, hyperborean servant, I'm as ubermensch as you are, Kinch, the pen and shield, fears, I'm sure, 22 then, 33 now, 1915, time, perpetual motion, I love it though, this triestine sun that melts a man like butter this time of year, bloody god-awful war, when will it end, Zurich is nice, I hear, I hear, I hear, I ear, I air, I er. Are you up there, Stephen? Haynes's voice echoed up the staircase. 
Around the eating table in the centre of their tower, Buck Mulligan slapped out three bacon and egg breakfasts hot from the stove with rushed courtesy. What sort of a ramshackle place is this? Where is our sandy cove milk? Mulligan spewed. We could have it with lemon instead, Stephen suggested. Ah, damn your continental fads, Daedalus. I like what I'm used to, Mulligan answered. Just then the milk lady appeared through the door, like a messenger from the secret morning world. Mulligan, rather a little too loudly, addressed the old woman, subliminal message, shout them into obedience. He lost no time in tasting the secret morning gift, and espoused on the benefits such quality milk would do all those who could drink enough of it. Are you a medical student, sir? The old woman asked. Drawn to Mulligan's boldness, she slighted Stephen. I am, ma'am, he replied. She would bow her head to the gay betrayer, he who talks loudly to her, and marvel at the descendant of those who conquered her, the Sassanach. I will not serve, portrait again. He was as neglected a writer as I was when we first met. Ettore Hunter. Married money. English lessons for his new annual summer post in the London branch of their paint company, Sassanach. Haynes picked up a page from the table and read aloud. Do you understand what he said, asked Stephen to the old woman. Is it French you're speaking, sir? She asked. It's Irish, and he thinks we should all be speaking it here, said Mulligan. Oh, I'm told it's a grand language by them that knows, she said. Grand is no word for it at all. Absolutely wonderful it is, said Mulligan. She totted up the bill by mouth and pardoned them for leaving her a bit short. Time enough, sirs, time enough. Good morning, sirs. What is this you said about Hamlet, Stephen? Haynes asked. No, no, I'm not equal to Thomas Aquinas in the morning and the 55 reasons he has to prop it up. But it's quite simple. He proves by algebra that Hamlet's grandson is Shakespeare's grandfather and that he himself is the ghost of his own father, Mulligan said. Baffled, Haynes pointed to Stephen and said, What? He himself? Later, only the sacred pint alone can loosen the tongue of Daedalus, Mulligan said. I should like to make a collection of your sayings for a book I'm working on, if that's all right with you, Stephen. That one about the cracked spiegel of a servant was juice good, Haynes said. Will you pay me for them? Stephen asked. Not sure if I could yet, Haynes answered, and he walked out into the morning through the door. What did you say that for, Daedalus? Mulligan said sharply to Stephen. I big you up to him. And then you come out with your beggarly talk, said Mulligan. Why don't you play them like I do, Stephen? No wonder he thinks you're not a gentleman. But to be fair, I think you have the real Oxford stink about you, Daedalus. They followed their counterparts out through the door and Stephen locked it after, placing the big key in his shirt's chest pocket. Mulligan was keen for his morning swim. Are you coming, Haynes? Mulligan cried. Oh, not on my breakfast. I'll wait a while, Haynes answered. Indigestion, gluttony, seven sins. Mulligan began to undress on the pier adjacent to the tower. Who pays the rent here? Haynes asked. I do. Mulligan shouted, Twelve quid! To the the Secretary of State for War, Stephen said. 
I pay the rent, not he. He will ask for the key, too. It's in his eyes, I see it. Mulligan, undoing his shoelaces, started chanting in a quite happy, foolish voice. I'm the queerest young fellow that ever you heard. My mother's a Jew and my father's a bird. With Joseph the joiner I cannot agree. So here's two disciples and Calvary. He drew near and grabbed at Stephen's ashplant, shaking it in a gesture of farewell, then ran along the pier, flapping his arms as one about to fly, making his way towards his dive. He's rather blasphemous, I should say. I'm not a believer myself, though. I suspect neither are you, said Haynes. You behold in me, Stephen said, with grim displeasure, a frightful example of free thought. Indeed, you are your own master, it seems to me, said Haynes. Stephen turned and saw that the fa Saxon face which had queried him was not all unkind. I am a servant to two masters, the crown and Rome, said Stephen. We feel in England that we have treated you rather unfairly. It seems history is to blame, he said calmly. But, of course, I am a Britisher and I feel a duty to my country. And, I ju and just now the problem is to not let it fall into the hands of German Jews. That is our current concern. Mulligan, still flapping with excitement, drew closer once again and with an afterthought and asked Stephen to leave him the key and for two pence also for a pint. Stephen obliged and dropped the items on Mulligan's clothes. Mulligan, grinning, He who steal it from the poor, lend it to the Lord. Thus spoke Chrysostomus. He jumped and sunk his body into the sea. He surfaced a little further out from the pier and shouted back to Stephen, The ship, half twelve, see you there. Stephen turned to leave them. See you again, said Haynes, Stephen nodding in assent, smiling about wild Irish below. Where will I stay tonight? I'm not risking Haynes again with that gun. And home too, I cannot go. Money tensions. I'll go forth to experience reality for the millionth, for the millionth time. Mulligan, further out, surfacing and submerging like a large brown seal. Those usurpers.